0: and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walke.
1: This morning, we're going to continue our Distinguished Pulpit series, and it's a time for us to hear from a variety of spiritual, theological, and community perspectives. We are glad to welcome today to the pulpit, Jamie West Zumwalt. Jamie grew up as a pastor's kid in a conservative evangelical Christianity. In 2006, she and her husband, John, planted a coffee house, a church community called Joe's Addiction, and it's in the red light district of Oklahoma City. Jamie's the lead pastor, and there they serve alongside with people who experience homelessness, addiction, abuse, and they're learning together how to live the way of Jesus. Jamie has authored two books, One, the simple obsession, enjoying the tender heart of God, and it's a memoir about the intimate relationship with Jesus and learning to hear God's voice. The second book, Beloved Chaos, moving from religion to love in a red light district, is full of stories of the lives of people in Joe's addiction community, and it's the evolution of Jamie's own faith in the context of loving people on the margins. Please join me this morning in giving Jamie a warm welcome to Mayflower. Let us bow our heads together with a word of prayer. Gracious God, the gospel of Luke lets us overhear Jesus encouraging the disciples to be about the work of sharing the good news. And when he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, the harvest is plentiful, People are looking for a church that loves and celebrates their queer grandkids. The harvest is plentiful. People are looking for a church that welcomes questions and encourages theological curiosity. The harvest is plentiful. People are looking for a church that knows the personal is political and it organizes accordingly. The harvest is plentiful. People are looking for a church where they belong, where the spirit disrupts, and where they can be rooted in love. The harvest is plentiful. May you count us among the workers, Holy One. Amen. Good
2: morning. I am grateful to be here this morning and share some story with you. My husband, John, is in the back there. Uh, He's helping me man the book table. He and I have been married for 32 years. Uh, We have five children. Most of them are grown and out living their beautiful lives. Uh, Only one is still left at home. He is 16, and that means I'm almost done. and uh, i have one granddaughter her name is ruby she lives up in oregon and i'm looking forward to seeing her soon Uh, i tell you a little bit of this to let you know some things about who i am who we are i did grow up as a pastor's kid as she mentioned and as a child i learned that jesus is coming back any minute and i better get my heart right and stop sinning or god would punish me forever That was the kind of religion I grew up in, and uh, my position as a pastor's kid did not protect me from trauma. I experienced sexual abuse as a child and as a teenager in the church and by church people. Uh, There was a a suicide attempt I I attempted at 19 years old, and shame was a, a powerful yoke that I carried with me. As a young adult, I then learned that I had a responsibility to preach the gospel to every nation, and that when this task was completed, Jesus would return and take us all to heaven, where everything would be wonderful and the pain of my life would be over. So, I gave my life wholeheartedly to this task. I married a missionary man, and my husband and I went and served as missionaries in Taiwan for a few years, and then we founded a mission training organization that was for the purpose of multiplying ourselves, really sending missionaries to complete this task of world evangelization as quickly as possible. I tell you all of this to let you know that my entire life was for this belief and for the purpose of evangelical Christianity until it began to fall apart. (laughs) There was a, a series of very painful life events that left us confused and doubting our faith. Christianity was not doing what we had been raised to believe that it would do. And it was a a terrifying thing, honestly, to begin to doubt what I had believed my entire life. It felt like the foundation was crumbling out from underneath my feet. I began studying and looking into other religions, Buddhism and Hinduism, Taoism, Islam. I was wondering, do I just believe the things I have believed because I was raised in them, or is there good reason to believe it? And I saw in all these other religions a a beautiful thread of a call to love one another, a call to treat others as we would want to be treated. But then I began to also re-examine the stories and the life of Jesus, the one I had been so familiar with. I wanna take you to Luke chapter four. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he stands up in the synagogue and he reads from the book of Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because of this, he has anointed me to proclaim the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim deliverance to the captives and new sight to the blind to set at liberty those having been traumatized, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I like the version that says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I enjoyed that idea that maybe God is not mad at us, that we have his favor. I looked then again at the Sermon on the Mount, and I saw there some pretty radical teachings. Give to anyone who asks of you well, what if they don't do what you think they ought to do with what you've given them? (laughs) When people steal from you, don't try to get it back. Are you kidding me? Forgive people who hurt you. Love, love one another. Jesus even taught that we're to love our enemies, maybe the most ridiculous thing that he taught us. And I began to wonder, what if Jesus really meant what he said? What if he meant for us to live the things that he taught? So we decided to try a a, a grand experiment with a couple of questions in mind. The first question was, is it even possible? Is it possible to live these things that Jesus taught? And then the second question is, if it is possible, does it make any difference? Not someday after we die, but does it make a difference here and now? Could it change and transform a community we began looking for a place to do this grand experiment and we we found a part of oklahoma city that is called valley brook do some of you know where valley brook is valley brook is just northeast of crossroads mall if you know where that is and valley brook is its own city its own township valley brook has its own mayor its own city council its own police force for just 0.3 square miles Not three square miles, just 0.3 square miles are the little town of Valley Brook, And the reason why it's never been absorbed into Oklahoma City proper is because the zoning laws there are different from anywhere else in the city. It really is one of the only places in the state where you can find full nudity in the strip clubs. And so that is the industry of this part of town. Just one strip club after another along a, a main street. And then there is a a community of people, a a neighborhood living behind and around these clubs. In this community there, the average income is about $11,000 a year. With that kind of generational poverty go a lot of other struggles. There's a lot of addiction, there's a lot of mental health problems, homelessness, people living outside, many people who have been to prison, if not prison, at least to jail. And then there is a lot of gang activity in this neighborhood as well. A lot of violence. We began to wonder how do we even begin to get to know these people in this neighborhood as our life has been so very different from what they have experienced. And one morning I just woke with the thought in my mind, coffee shop. Now I grew up in Seattle, Washington, so I think coffee might actually be in my blood. It was a very natural thing in my mind to open up a coffee shop, so that is what we did. Right next door to Valley of the Dolls, we opened up a little shop called Joe's Addiction, a cup of Joe being the only addiction we thought might be of benefit to the people in this neighborhood. And we have been there now for 14 years in this little coffee shop, serving in this community, and Joe's Addiction has become a community of people who are together practicing the way of love that Jesus taught. We eat meals together. We share our stuff with one another through the free store that we have. We offer recovery meetings for those in addiction. In our new building that we just opened this last October, we have a shower and we have laundry facilities for people to share. And then it also serves as a day shelter for people who are living outside, homeless there in that area. A few years back, we began addressing the gang violence in this neighborhood. We started a new gang that we called the Love Gang, and that's what this heart tattoo on my face is about. It replaces the teardrop tattoo that for many in this neighborhood represents the violence that they have lived, and it stands as a commitment that we have to love our enemies. Now for me, most of my enemies are just people who are on Facebook and they disagree with what I have said on Facebook. (laughs) But for a lot of folks in our community there, for them to love their enemies and to make this commitment, which for them really in many ways feels like a baptism as they take a tattoo that says, I will love my enemies. For them, it is a decision to break the cycle of violence that they've been in, to choose to not retaliate. And it may even be a life-threatening decision for some of them. There are 25 of us now that have this heart and there's a whole crew of a a new list that are waiting to go together to get the tattoo i have many stories that i could tell you this morning but i just want to share one about a woman that came into our coffee shop there just a few years into our time there and she as she walked through the door she had her hand held high like this she said i am the statue of liberty And she began wandering around the room, interacting with different customers and regulars that were there and shouting out that she is the Statue of Liberty. She shouted out a lot of other things and sometimes was rather belligerent and and difficult and bothered the customers. And, And particularly when people would come in that are of a different race than she is, sometimes she began shouting out, you are the people who are ruining our country, which was Awkward, because she's supposed to be the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> but there was no really having a conversation about these things, as, as she really was just kind of in a, another world of her own. Customers there, people who were regular in the coffee shop, started coming to me and saying, you need to run her off, she's hurting business, she bothers the customers. But every time someone suggested that to me, I, it just didn't feel like something that Jesus would do. And this is what we're trying to practice. Would Jesus run this lady off because she bothers folks? So I began to ask around there in the neighborhood about her. Who is, who is she? And people told me that her name is Trina. They told me her story. Many people knew her story. Years ago, she was in a, a very abusive marriage, a man that beat her. And one day he took a hammer and he beat her head in with this hammer. He left her bleeding and dying. Someone found her and rescued her, rushed her to the hospital where they saved her life but she has brain damage and the mental illness that goes along with that damage. So we got involved in Trina's life. We found out about some organizations here in the city that help with mental health problems. I also discovered that she had a relative, and an aunt, who was involved in her life. And together we got her signed up for some services that are available. And a team of medical professionals started coming out regularly to her home and making sure that she was taking medication and the right medications. And Trina began to, to improve. She became pleasant and, and a, a nice person in our community. She would hang out there in the coffee shop and she'd still interact with people and talk to the other customers, but she wasn't being belligerent and she wasn't being violent until she began to disintegrate again. Things began to to become difficult and she was starting to act out again and she seemed upset and anxious and I called up her aunt and Asked, what's going on? Has something changed in Trina's life? She doesn't seem to be doing so well. She said, well, she's been taking her medicine, but she hasn't been taking the green pill. In the bottom of each Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday compartment was left each day just the green pill. Her aunt didn't know why she wouldn't take the green pill. So I asked Trina one day, why are you not taking that green pill? It's for anxiety. I think you need that green pill. She said, well, Bezel told me that if I take that green pill, I will die. I asked her, Trina, who is Bezel? She said, well, Bezel is my friend. This was a voice that Trina was hearing in her mind and had been there for some time. I asked her, what kind of things does Bezel say to you? She said, Bezel tells me sometimes to run out into the street and get hit by traffic. Sometimes Bezel tells me to put my head in the oven with the broiler on. I said, Trina, I don't think that Bezel sounds like he's your friend. I think Bezel is kind of an enemy for you. You really need to take this green pill. Well, the more I began to talk to her about it, suddenly now I was in cahoots with the people who were trying to kill her. She became angry and started to become violent towards me because why was I trying to make her take this green pill? Well, over the next few days, it became worse and worse. She became more and more violent. And there was a day when I didn't know what to do with her. She was really out of control, and I didn't, I didn't know how to handle her, and I was afraid I was going to need to call the police. I didn't want to call the police because I didn't know how they would treat her, and I was afraid that she would know that I was the one who called the police and I had worked for so long building trust and relationship with her. So I called up one of the men in our community there. He lived just down the street. He had had a history of helping us calm her down there in the coffee shop. And so I called him, and I told him, she's freaking out. I I need some help. I think I might have to call the police. And he said, no, no, don't do that. I'll be right there. He jumped on his motorcycle and zoomed down to the coffee shop and walked in the front door. Now, my friend, his name is Chris, and he, uh, he has a, a way of putting on a real air of authority about him. And as he walked through the front door, he swung it open, he said, Trina, I want to see you right now, immediately in the backyard. She just froze. She looked at me and she said, am I in trouble? <laughs> I said, I don't know. (laughs) I had no idea what he had in mind. I said, but I'll go with you. (laughs) So we went out together, the three of us, to the deck that we had out back on the, the back of our building there. And we stood together out on that deck outside and Chris began to shout at her, Trina, what color are the trees? She said, well, they're green. He said, what color is the grass? She said, it's green. A little bit quieter, he said, "'Trina, what color are these plants?' She said, "'Well, they're green, Chris.' He came up very near to her and he said, "'Trina, bezel has lied to you. Green is the color of life. You need to take your green pill.' She was very quiet for a few moments, just standing there. And then she looked at me and she said, that old Bezel has been lying to me. Take me home and I'll take my green pill right now. (laughs) Chris took her home. She took that green pill. And we have not heard from Bezel ever since. Trina has become a productive member of our community. She is cheerful. She decided that she needed a job at Joe's Addiction, so she took it upon herself to become the fly swatter. She still walks around with her hand raised in the air, only she now holds the fly swatter, and she helps us with the flies, which is a great blessing right now during the summer. She still has delusions, but they're happy delusions at this point. Sometimes she thinks that she's Pamela Anderson. Sometimes she's Michelle Pfeiffer, and she's a very famous singer. She loves to do karaoke with us. And Trina has become part of our family, part of our community. One Sunday, we were looking at the stories of Jesus together, as we do on Sunday, and Jesus told a story about forgiveness. He told a story about a man who owed a large debt, but as he came before the Master and said, I cannot pay this debt, the Master forgave him of that debt. But he turned around and he went back out and he ran into someone who owed him just a a little bit, a little bit of money. And he grabbed that man by the neck and said, you need to pay me my debt, this, this money that you owe me. And when the man couldn't pay, he threw that man into debtor's prison. Well, when the master heard this story, he took the debtor that he had forgiven and he put him in prison. And as Jesus told the story, it said that there in prison, he would be tormented by the tormentors. As we talked about it together that Sunday, what does this mean for us? I shared with our people there some of the trauma that I had experienced in my life and some of the healing that God was bringing to me. But then I also talked with them about my bitterness. Bitterness not only toward the people who harmed me, but towards the church that protected the people that harmed me and how I needed to let go of that bitterness. We talked about memories and how the memories just come back again and again and re-traumatize us. Maybe this is what Jesus meant about being tormented. And at the end of that service, we just left a time for us to be quiet, to consider the possibility that maybe we need to forgive someone from our history. As we were there waiting quietly, considering that, Trina, from the back of the coffee shop, she hollered out, I think I need prayer. I think I need to forgive my husband who beat my head in with a hammer. People gathered around Trina that day, there in the coffee shop and prayed with her as she wept and she made the choice to forgive the man who had beaten her, who had destroyed her life. Some weeks later, Trina came to me in the coffee shop one day and she was terrified. This was not a delusion, it was a true, real situation. She said, my husband, the one who beat me, is on his way here and he's bringing my 16-year-old daughter to see me. I don't know why her husband had custody of their daughter, but he was on his way and she said, I want to see my daughter so badly. I haven't seen her in a long time, but I don't want to see him. I don't think I can handle that. I said, Trina, we will be here with you. We will protect you. Sure enough, in a little while, here drove up this pickup right to the front of the coffee shop, and there in the pickup was a man and a, a teenage daughter. They got out of the truck and they headed into the coffee shop, and as they entered the coffee shop, every man that was sitting there in the shop gathered around behind Trina and formed a, a semicircle behind her, standing with her as she faced her abuser that came through that door. He walked into the shop with their daughter, and as he saw those men standing there, he said, I think I'll just wait in the truck. (laughs) He went back out to the truck and waited while Trina got to spend about an hour with her daughter. It was a beautiful reunion. Trina has become this wonderful part of our community. The good news of love is for the poor, Jesus said. It's for the brokenhearted. It's for the captives, it's for the blind, and for those who have been traumatized. This job description that Jesus gave, what he announced, his mission statement, it's not just Jesus' job description, it is our job description, our mission statement. When I was a little girl, I prayed that prayer that you all prayed this morning. I was, had it memorized. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I think the way that we prayed it when I was a little girl really went more along these lines. Our Father, somewhere up there far away in heaven, would you please send Jesus back down here to take us up to heaven where your kingdom is and where your will is being done? But I've learned that the gospel is not an evacuation plan. It is a salvation plan. It's a transformation plan. God's community, what he called the kingdom, is to be a community of people who are practicing the way of love that Jesus taught. Martin Luther King Jr., he called it the beloved community. At Joe's Addiction, we call it beloved chaos. (laughs) It's quite a mess but it's incredibly beloved and beautiful. The invitation is for us all to join in living and loving and doing God's will here on earth as it is in heaven. And maybe in doing so, we can bring a little bit of heaven here to the earth.
0: You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank
2: you for listening.